Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. This morning I want to talk to you about how to be the absolute best version of you possible how to be winsome, how to be the kind of person that just draws people in, the kind of person people love to be around. Maybe on the other side, I, I, I want to teach you how not to be the person who is annoying and exhausting. <laughs> Have you ever been around somebody who's just like utterly exhausting to be around? You know, it's that person that it just feels like they just drain you to be around them. They, they seem so clingy and needy. Their, their esteem is so low. They're like Eeyore, like nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. You know, that, that kind of personality that just feels like a dark storm cloud comes upon you every time you're around them. That's, that can be incredibly exhausting to be around those kinds of people. But you know, there's actually the, the opposite side of it. You got the low self-esteem and you got the people who have way too high a self-esteem and they think they are God's gift to humanity. And those people can be incredibly annoying. They just, they have life figured out. They got it all done. They know what's right. They, they know you know that you don't know what's right because they do and they're going to tell you they know what's right. I mean, it's just like you get around them and like, oh Lord, please let me go somewhere else. You see them come and you run because they just, they annoy the fire out of you. Now here's what's interesting. A person with low self-esteem and a person with an overly exalted view of self actually have the same problem. They believed a lie from the enemy. Now on one side, the lie is different. It's that they don't have any value. The father doesn't love them. They're just a, a screw up and they believe that lie. On the other side, they believe the lie. They have no problems. They got everything figured out and they know what's going on. They're both believing a lie. And because they're believing a lie, they can't see the fact that they're annoying or that they're exhausting. Now let me tell you why you need to know that. There are some of you watching this and you too have believed the lie. Either one of those two lies. Let me tell you what that means. It means you may be exhausting or annoying the people around you and you don't even realize it. It it could be that you're one of those people who are just in the emotional dumpsters all the time and you drain everybody else around you. You might not even know it. Or it could be you're so full of yourself, so sure of yourself that you think you got the answer to everything and people get annoyed when you come and you can't even see it. But let me tell you what, you were created, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you were created not to be on those two extremes. extremes. God wants to pull you to a new place where you look different, you live different, where the you that people experience is drawing them in with joy instead of exhaustion or annoyance. And I want to tell you how that can happen from God's word. And if I teach this message correctly, then we're all going to walk out better people for it. So I want to start with those of you who struggle with the low self-esteem side, those of you who really don't see the potential and the beauty that you have. Let, let, me, let me tell you this. God made no mistakes when he created you. You are absolutely amazing because God breathed life into you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, whether you believe it or not. The good news of this book is that because we're created in the image of God, we have incredible potential. We're already amazing and we can be even more amazing in the future than we are today. And I firmly believe for those of you watching that God wants you to be an amazingly better person at the end of 2021 compared to who you are at the beginning of 2021. I believe God wants to do this work. And here's what's beautiful about it. It doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual continuum. It doesn't matter if this is the first time for you ever to hear a sermon in your life and you're brand new to this, bringing all this baggage with you, or you are a seasoned saint. It really doesn't matter. God can still transform you. God wants the future you to look so much better than the present you. 
And, and I'm not talking about a weight loss program. I'm not talking about a facelift. I'm talking about a soul transformation where God completely changes who you are. To which I know you'd go, all right, Jason, I'm ready. Give me that magic pill. What does it take? Now, before I answer what it's going to take, let me go ahead and tell you what this is not. This is not a self-help, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Just here are five points. If you just do these things, work hard at them, you'll be a better person. No, no, no. That's, that's self-help. And that's, that just feeds pride. Listen, the, the advice I'm going to give you is going to tell you that only God can transform you. And when he does transform you, he gets the glory, not you. So make sure you understand this isn't self-help. This is God intervention. All right, you're going, okay, then tell me, Jason, what is it? What is it going to take to change me? Well, I want to forewarn you, it's not nearly as sexy as you might think. The, the means, the mechanism by which God transforms us is a simple word called discipleship. It's when I get with other brothers and, and their sisters, you get with sisters, and we get into a close relationship and we sharpen each other, we transform each other. Here, I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you at the end of the service, I'm going to be inviting you to join our D groups, our discipleship groups, where you can get that kind of soul transformation that God wants to do in you. And I'll confess, it may not be very attractive, but it is incredibly effective. Don't, don't take my word for it, though. God's word says it. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. And this passage from the Apostle Paul really helps us understand what soul transformation looks like. Now, he's going to give us three basic points. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to give us the goal. He's going to tell us who we are designed by God to become. The second thing he's going to give us is the problem, that there is something fighting against us achieving that goal. And then the third thing he's going to give us is the solution. He's going to tell us what it's going to take for us to overcome the problem so we can achieve the goal. And that's the framework of this sermon as we walk along with him. So let's go back to the first one. We're going to start with the goal. We're going to learn what it is that we were designed to be so we can get a vision for who God wants us to be. First three verses that we're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 11. It says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I want you to pause there for a moment because I want to talk about what Paul has just mentioned. And I want to make sure we don't deviate because we get confused. I think there are many of you who've heard this passage of Scripture before, but you've probably focused your attention on those first five terms. People call this apest, A-P-E-S-T, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And we look at these roles and we get fixated on these roles. Like, okay, Paul must be defining very systematic roles in the institutional church. Then we start debating, are there still apostles? Are there still prophets? Okay, who are the evangelists? Who are the shepherds? Who are the teachers? And we come in with a modern mindset of like a church like Fielder, a mega church, and we're looking for these clergy, these exalted positions and going, okay, what's their job going to be? But what you not have to remember is that this was written in a time when there was not the institution of the church as we know it today. There was not mega churches. These were little bitty house churches. So the people who had these gifts were just ordinary Christians rubbing shoulders with other Christians. Paul's main point here isn't to detail out the level of gifting. He does that in other places. It's just to remind us that when we get close enough to other Christians, who they are designed by God to be will infuse itself with who we're designed to be and we make each other better. That's his point. So he gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, people who have gifting. It says to equip the saints. By the way, when it says saints, it's talking about believers. To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Why? 
to achieve a goal that he tells us in verse 13. Look back at that verse. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, now time out right there and think about what Paul just said. Paul just said that the goal of every single believer is that we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ himself. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The goal is that we look just like Jesus Christ. That's God's goal for our life. That we settle for nothing less than looking just like the one who changed the world 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. I gotta be honest with you. I think one of our chief problems we have is that we have way too small a vision of what God can actually accomplish in us and through us. If I were being honest with you, one of my biggest fears that we have for the church, even here at Fielder, is that there are too many people who've settled for a a mediocrity to their Christian faith. They've just determined, and and maybe you're one of them, like, you know, I mean, in the Christian life, I'm I'm just trying to be a, a good person. If I could just be decent, not screw up too much, maybe go to church from time to time, Maybe try to help some people out who have need. If, if I can do those things, I mean, what more could God really expect from me, right? Now, let me tell you what's wrong with that expectation. You can do all four of those things without God. You don't need God to try to be a better person. You don't need God to go to church from time to time. You don't, you don't need God to try to help some people out. You don't need God to, to try not to screw up so much. Those are things any human being can do completely apart from God. And when we distill the Christian faith down to something that we can accomplish without God, I think that raises big questions. First of all, why in the world would God bring us a faith in a book that could be accomplished without God? The answer, he wouldn't. God didn't set Christianity up that way so we could accomplish it without him. In fact, if you look at this book, what it tells us is that you and I really want to fulfill the Christian faith. If we want to be genuine to this book, it requires a miracle from God himself. So you'll read, if you read the New Testament specifically, that every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us have rebelled against God. If we're left in charge of our own lives, we are going to screw it up. Our selfishness is going to be rampant and we're going to end up destroying everyone else around us. And we're going to even break our relationship with God himself. And we're going to incur the enmity of God. That's the end game of those of us who are controlled by self in sin. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. It's like a cancer. If you have cancer, you cannot get rid of cancer on your own. You need outside help. And sin is a cancer that will devour us and spread inside of us. And we cannot stop it. We need a divine intervention. And the Father knew unless a miracle happened, we could never be saved. So he gave us that miracle in his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to this earth to live the righteous life we couldn't so that he could earn our righteousness because the Father knew we wouldn't be able to do it. And then the same son went to a cross where he paid the penalty of our sin so we could throw our sins upon Jesus and miraculously get his righteousness and God himself would enter in and transform us from the inside out. And if you and I, by faith in the miracle of God, if we would ask for forgiveness and throw ourselves at the merciful feet of Jesus, then the spirit of Christ comes inside of us and we now become capable of radical, beautiful change. And let me tell you why I'm telling you all this stuff. I want you to know from the very beginning that in a moment I'm going to talk about what it takes to grow, what it takes to be conformed and who God wants you to be. And all of that is utterly impossible until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It requires a supernatural miracle that only God can accomplish in you through faith in the gospel of Jesus. I want you to know if today you're ready to see your life change, the only way it's going to happen is if you confess your sins, 
God, I've rebelled against you. I'm sorry. And you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, come into me and take over. That is the only means of finding life. The Bible talks about a rebirth. The old us has to die and there has to be a brand new us that surfaces. But it also says it's possible for you to have a fresh start on life. That all the mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed, the mess you've made with your life, he can flush it away and give you a brand new start today where you'll begin to see the miracles of God as he transforms you. Listen, I know normally I give you a chance to respond to the gospel at the end of the sermon. I'm going to give it to you right now at the beginning. If today you need to come to that, that place of faith in Jesus Christ, you're ready to invite him to transform you, then you can take a step of faith right now. I know, I know we have a digital service and we're not able to be together, but we can still connect. And we can do so by you letting me know that God is working in your heart and you're ready to take that step of faith. It's a very simple process. We have a form that you can fill out on a website. It's just going to, to fielder.org slash next step. And if you go to that place, you'll find a form. You can get a shortcut to there. You can just text the word like you see on your screen, next step to 94253. And what that's going to do when you text the word next step to 94253, it's going to give you an auto response with a link to that same website. And when you go to that website, filler.org slash next step, you're going to have a place to give us name, phone number, email, super basic information. And then you're going to let us know what God's doing in your heart. If you're ready to, to place your faith in Jesus, if you're ready to be baptized, if you want to talk to a pastor, if you need prayer, whatever it is. But I think today is the day you need to respond. Listen, whatever I have to say in the future of this message won't matter unless you do this first. So if you need to stop down and take the step of faith right now, I encourage you to do it because that's when your life will change. And here's what I know. I know the moment by faith you confess your sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. I know the Spirit of God comes in you and does a miracle of soul transformation. And in that moment, there is nothing God cannot change inside of you. And the goal of God's transformation is that you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, you can look like and act like and be just like Jesus Christ, the one who changed the world 2,000 years ago. And let me guarantee you, this world desperately needs more presence of Jesus. I don't know if you were watching what happened on Capitol Hill this past week as we watched our own nation turn against itself. And I'm, I'm watching this craziness and all I can think is, holy cow, we need Jesus. This country, this world, we need Jesus. And the truth is, the vast majority of this world will only experience Jesus through you and through me as we look like Jesus and we act like Jesus and we talk like Jesus and we smell like Jesus. And, the, and God wants to do that in us. He wants us to make us like Jesus. Man, people love Jesus. Sinners and broken people, they flock to Jesus. He was magnetic. And God wants to make us the same way where we draw in people. Just this past week, I got a phone call from a lady who is a friend with somebody who just started coming to our church, and, and she's a lesbian. And she was calling scared. And her question was, I just want to know what your church teaches because I'm scared to death that my friend is going to be told that she can no longer be friends with me because I'm a lesbian and I know that's what churches, teach, that churches are teaching. I, I got to be honest with you, it broke my heart to hear that. Now, it's not that a church shouldn't stand up for what's right, shouldn't speak truth, but Lord have mercy if we end up having the reputation of shunning people who choose differently than we do, then we are not living like Jesus Christ. Because if I remember the gospels that I read, whenever Jesus Christ lived, the sinners and the tax collectors and the broken, they flocked to him. He drew them in and that's who we should be as the church where people in our world flock to us because we look like Jesus. And that's actually God's goal for us, that we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. Listen, I want you to believe that can become you. If you believe it, God will begin the work. But the moment you believe it, you got to know a second truth. There's a problem. 
You see, there is, there is a power at work against you trying to make sure this doesn't happen to you. And that power has a name. His name is Satan. See, this man Satan is working really hard because he's scared to death of the church looking like Jesus and sounding like Jesus and acting like Jesus because when we do that, we become a missionary army and we start going out rescuing people from the domain of darkness and bring them in to the kingdom of light and Satan doesn't want that to happen and so he's gonna come at us every single way he can. And so if you're taking notes, that's the second point I want you to have. First one, remember, the goal is that we look just like Jesus Christ but the second part is the problem and the problem is Satan is scheming against us. He is tirelessly scheming against us. In fact, you see that in verse 14 of this passage. So when you go back and you're talking through this passage where Paul talks about, yeah, there are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers who are, who are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, to build us up so we can attain to mature manhood, to the full measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. He then says why in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here's what Paul is telling us. He's saying right now we have an enemy named Satan who is coming after us and he's attacking us and he's doing it through the wind of doctrine, through human cunning and through deceitful schemes. Three things, three ways he comes against us. I want to talk about the first one. He says, we, we don't need to be children tossed around by the waves and carried about, it says, by every wind of doctrine. Now, when you hear the word doctrine, typically you think of like biblical truth, the doctrines of the faith of the Bible. But that word in Greek is didaskalia. It's, it's bigger than just biblical doctrine. It's teaching in general. So it refers to worldview, philosophies, ideologies. And here's what this is telling us. One of Satan's main tactics is to bombard us with all these different worldviews, all these different ideologies, all these different philosophies to the point that we get carried away by them, tossed around by them because we're so confused by what to believe. Now, I'm going to talk more about this next week, but I want you to know right now, Satan is having a heyday using technology, using the internet to bombard us with so many access points to information we never used to have before that are confusing the mess out of us. Social media is working to bombard us with all these different contrary ideologies that is creating this division in our world today. Now I'm going to talk, like I said, more about that next week, but right now we need to know there's a full press where God is trying, or excuse me, Satan is trying to confuse us by his tactics, by all these doctrines, and God wants us to fight against it. I'll tell you how in a moment. But just know that's the way Satan works. But there's a second way he works. It says, not just by every wind of doctrine, but also by human cunning. Now that word cunning, it's a, it's a really intriguing word in Greek that I think explains the tactics of Satan for us. It's the Greek word kubeia. It's where the word cube comes from. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, it's actually referring to, to dice. You know, like you have dice that are cubes that people would gamble with. Well, gambling was very prevalent in biblical times and, and that word cubea was referring to gambling dice. And now there was a specific meaning behind it that I could try to teach you, but I actually think it's gonna be better for me to show you. And so I, I've invited my friend Reggie, come on back up here to help me out. So Reggie, come, come on over here. I, I think we're gonna do a, a little work up here to teach some people, but, but we're gonna put some money on it. So, okay, I got, I got 20 bucks right here, right? I think you and Mackenzie need a date. You can get some McDonald's or something with that. Probably not much more. But putting that 20 there, and it's not really gambling because it's my money, right? So you can only win. Uh, I only lose here. But here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to roll the dice a few times, okay? And you've got yours. I got mine. And then whoever has the greatest total after a few rolls, that's the one that gets to keep the 20. You up for it? Up. Okay. 
You go first. Get you what you got here. Let's see. Six. You know, it's not bad. That's kind of middle of the road, you know. Okay. All right, let's see what I got here. Come on, baby. Double sixes, baby. Woo! <laughs> All right, I think I'm up on you right now. But you, you got, oh, no, that's a four and a six. I messed that up. Okay, we're going to stop ten to your six. I'm, I'm beating you. Here we go. Okay, eight, eight. That's above the threshold over here. Come on. Come on. Right now, Virginia's going, Jason, don't you be losing 20 bucks. Right I got you. <laughs> Come on, baby. Six, two. We tied on that one. We tied on that one. I'm still ahead right now. Okay. I got you. Last one. Let's make it work here. Nine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm starting to sweat a little bit right here, Reggie. Okay, come on. Double sixes. Oh, I got you. Look, I, I, Reggie, good try, man. I, that 20 is mine, though. Get, get yourself another date with McKenzie and your own McDonald's somewhere else. But... Okay, so if, if you're watching this and you're wondering how I won that and why I was willing to wager 20 bucks on it, it's actually because I knew I was going to win because these are not ordinary dice. These are weighted dice. They're, they're designed to be about four out of five times to land on six. In other words, I was cheating. Reggie knew I was going to cheat. I knew I was going to cheat. But I, I wanted you to see this because this was actually incredibly common in biblical times. They would get weighted dice and they would find newbies who would come to gamble and these people would come over there and they would use that and they would just, just clean them out and take all their money for themselves. And therefore, the word cubea, cubes, dice, became synonymous with crooked, with treachery, with cunning. That's why the word is used there. And I think this is incredibly instructive to how Satan works. Go ahead and give you a newsflash. Satan does not play fair. He is a liar. He is a cheat. He is a trickster. He is a schemer and he is cunning in the way that he comes after us. And he's really good at what he does. In fact, he's methodical in the way he goes about it. You see that as you look at the next part of the verse. He says, you know, human doctrine, human cunning. And then it says, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now that word schemes in Greek is another interesting word. It's the Greek word methodia. It's where the word methodical comes from. In other words, Satan has deception down to a methodical process, a strategy in which he comes after you. And let me remind you, Satan has been doing this for thousands of years. He is really good at deceiving and at tricking and at conning. He is the consummate con artist and he will overwhelm you and keep you from becoming who God intends you to become. He does not want you looking like Jesus and acting like Jesus. And he's gonna use every single one of his arts, his weighted dice to get you to make sure you don't become like Jesus. That's the problem. But there is a solution. God has given us an answer to how we overcome the tactics of the enemy to become who God really wants us to become. So remember, we have a goal that we look just like Jesus Christ. We have a problem that we have Satan who's scheming against us. But here's the third thing you need to know, the solution. We need people, people who will encourage us, people who will teach us, and people who will hold us accountable. Every single one of us needs those three things. We need people in our lives, people who will teach us, people who encourage us, and people who will hold us accountable. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you, I believe the best place to do that here at Fielder Church is through our discipleship groups, through our D groups. They're built on these pillars, these pillars of learning on encouragement, on an accountability. But one of the reasons why I believe so deeply in them is because the biblical text tells us that's what we need. In fact, you began to see it back in verse 12. You just didn't know it. 
In verse 12, he says he's given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we can attain to mature manhood. So he gave us people to invest in us to equip us. That word in Greek for equip, it's a, it's a powerful word. It's actually two words shoved together. It's kata, kata artizo. So kata is one. It means according to. And artizo means to fit. It, it means to, to put in the right place. It, it also means to outfit something. So if you think about a soldier, a soldier would need to be outfitted for war. He's not ready to go to war unless he has the right tactical gear, he's got the right armory, he's got what he needs to go into battle. He needs to be outfitted. He needs to be katartizo, according to what the right fit is for him to accomplish his task. That word also meant to furnish, like to furnish a house. So a house can't function like a house until it has what it needs. It's outfitted on the inside. It's equipped with a table, a bed, chairs, a couch, kitchen, all those kinds of things. It has to be outfitted, equipped. And I think this is really trying to refer to what you and I need to stand against the, the way God works, or excuse me, the way Satan works and that God's trying to counteract this idea of this wave after wave of trickery and, and doctrine, false beliefs. There's one way to combat that and that is through learning God's truth. Imagine your brain just like this empty room. Some of you, it's gonna be a little easier to do than others, but like imagine there's nothing up inside there and you gotta furnish it. You gotta outfit it. Well, if you can shove your brain filled with truth from God's word, sound doctrine, he even talks about to be equipped with the knowledge of the son of God. If we can fill our brains with what is right and good and noble and pure and beautiful, then when Satan brings us all these false doctrines and ideologies and worldviews and philosophies, we can quickly counteract them. So we need to be in a place where we are constantly learning, constantly equipping our brains, our minds with the truth of God's word. D groups are designed to give us a proper, a proper atmosphere to learn and to be pushed and move forward. Why? Because we need to have people around us who challenge us to learn. But we also need people around us who challenge us to, to lift ourselves up out of the miry clay, to encourage us. Why? Because that word equip, it tells us that as well. So that word equip, I said it means to, according to a proper fit, that also was a word that was used in the medical community. It meant to repair or to mend. It was used in medicine specifically referring to broken, broken bones. You have to reset a broken bone, refit it. Every doctor knew, even back in the biblical times, that if a bone was broken and it wasn't reset, reset, it would never be able to heal. It would always have problems and it would always give the human body constraints. And so every doctor would try to reset it, no matter how painful that would be, so that it could properly heal. Now you have to remember what I said earlier. Our enemy, he's a schemer. He's a con artist. He's a liar and a cheater. And he's really good at what he does. And he has torn down a lot of people. The scripture tells us that the devil is, a, he's a, a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. And he has devoured so many people. And there is so much carnage, so much brokenness in people's souls because Satan has won. He has, he has splintered our spiritual bones. And the truth is, until we overcome that, until our souls are reset, we will never be able to appropriately heal. And what we need is brothers and sisters around us who will encourage us, who will remind us who we are in Christ, remind us that nothing is impossible. We need people who help mend our souls so that we can heal, so that we can become 
who God wants us to become, the very image of Jesus Christ himself. And again, I want to tell you, I believe D groups is one of the best places to get encouragement. And there was a season a year ago when I had gone through a really hard conversation with a person I was really close to, and it left me utterly destroyed on the inside. And I was about to go to my D group gathering at the time. It was before COVID, so we were at Wingstop. And I go over there, and I'm about 15, 20 minutes late because I've been on this phone call, and I was just broken. And I I get there, and the guys don't know what's going on, so they're razzing me for being late because I'm the leader of the group. And then they can look in my eyes, and they can see I was just heartbroken. I just began to weep. And here I am, I'm the pastor of the church, I'm this leader, and I'm just so heartbroken because I felt like I've just been dragged through the coals and I don't even know where to go and my my soul is just falling apart and crumbling. And those four men, for two hours straight, they just breathed life into me. They said, Jason, don't be fooled. God is using you. You've invested in my life. God's gonna fix you. God's gonna use this to transform you. God is going to continue to use you, Jason. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. And they were breathing encouragement into me. And from it began a process where my soul began to heal. Why? Because I had men around me who would encourage me, who would mend my broken soul because Satan had had a heyday with me. Let me tell you, you need this too. Uh, There are so many of you watching this and your souls are broken because Satan has got the best of you. And you have no one around you to speak a word of encouragement. I want you to know we have a place where you can meet with other people. And your soul can be encouraged when you need it most. Because you need it. Like I said, if you want to come against the attacks of the enemy, you need a place where you can learn. You need people who will encourage you. But there's a third thing you need. You need people who will hold you accountable. It's not enough just to have people who's, who speak life and good things to you. You need people who will call out the things that you're doing bad to help you not deviate when the enemy whispers lies and you start believing them. This is exactly how Paul ends the passage in verses 15 and 16. Let's finish the scriptures. Here's what it says. Verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love the way Paul frames this whole discussion. He says we we seem to get close to people and we can be joined and held together. This idea, if you look at a different version, it says knitted together so that when every part is working properly, In other words, when you get close enough into life relationships with other people where your lives begin to get knitted together, where who they are influences you and who you are influences them, when you get knitted together, it says then the body can grow up into where it's supposed to be. It can grow itself up into love, which is the very personhood of Jesus. This is saying that when we get into places where people can come into our lives, then they can build us up. How? Look back at verse 15. It said at the very beginning, it says, speaking the truth in love, that's how we can grow into him who is the head, into Christ. We get conformed into Christ when we have people who will speak the truth to us in love. That's called accountability. We need people who will hold us accountable, who will speak hard truths to us, us, but do it entirely out of love. Listen, I think there are many of you who have nobody in your life whom you've given permission to speak the truth to you in love. In fact, there are a lot of people to you, of you who have nobody who even speaks truth at all in your life. You're so isolated. COVID's only made it worse. You don't have anybody who, who will speak the hard truths to you and in your life to help you out. And listen, you're in grave danger of believing all the lies of the enemy 
if you have no one who can speak truth to you. Then there's others of you watching this and you're going, no, I got plenty of people who will speak truth into me. (laughs) They'll tell me all the wrong things I'm doing. They just don't do it in love. And if you don't have both of these, it doesn't work. You need to have people that you trust, that you have a strong relationship with, that you've invited to speak truth to you because then you'll receive it in love. Like, I don't know about you, but here's what I know. I know when I invite somebody to speak truth into me, I'm so much more open to it than when someone gives me unsolicited criticism. I'll bet you the same way. So okay, every, every Sunday I preach a sermon and, and I know that the risk point, I'm speaking in front of thousands of people. There are going to be people who don't agree with what I have to say. It happens every single week. And oftentimes there are people who are more than willing to tell me they don't agree with what I have to say. And they'll come up completely unsolicited and say, well, I think you said this wrong. Well, you mumbled that word when you were talking. Well, I don't agree with your position here. And they offer all kinds of critiques. And if I were honest with you, especially if I don't know them, immediately my heart does that. Like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, I, didn't, I didn't invite this. I don't know why you're bringing this. And I get defensive because I don't, I don't feel love in their critique. But let me tell you what, I, I can find a different group. In fact, I do it every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I write the sermon on Monday so that I can meet with the teaching team and invite them to come in and critique my sermon so that we can all go prepare our messages. And so here we sit, 9 a.m. in my office. They've read my sermon, and their job is to critique it, to point out the things that are unclear or wrong or need to be changed. In fact, this past Tuesday, I invited Jim Parks because he's the lead pastor of discipleship, and this was going to be a message about D groups. I said, come on, I want you to read it, and I want you to critique. And here he was, and he was very thorough, like, hey, Jason, you might want to consider changing this, and maybe you should add this. And he's critiquing my sermon. But let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go... That's stinking Jim Parks. How dare he critique my sermon? No, not at all. I had a pen in hand. I'm going, mm, okay, yeah, I like that. Okay, I can cross that out. Okay, I can move that over here. I can add that at the end. I receive his critique. Why? Because I invited it. And therefore, I knew it was a critique coming in love. You and I need to have places where people can critique us. They can correct us. They can speak truth to us. But in the context of love where we invite it, and that's where D groups are such a powerful tool Listen, I, I got, like I said, my four guys who are part of my D group, and they critique me. I, I invite them to share with me my faults and say, I, I failed in this, I didn't do this, I said I was going to do this, and I didn't. And they call me out, and they don't hold anything back, even though I'm the pastor of this church. Why? Because I invited, and I'm not defensive, because I want them to do that, and I know they're doing it out of love. And like I said earlier, I'm afraid there's a whole lot of you, and you don't have anybody in your life that you've invited to speak the truth to you in love, but you need it. You desperately need it. And so here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to realize who God desires you to be. God wants you to have a much greater vision for your life than you do right now. God wants you to be spectacular. God wants you to be an unbelievable presence in this world that just draws people in, that changes the world just like Jesus Christ did because he wants you to attain to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Jesus. But there's an enemy right now who's scheming against you, trying to keep you from achieving that goal. But God has said there's a way to overcome it. There's a solution. Find some people, some people who can teach you, some people who can encourage you, and some people who can speak truth to you in love, who can hold you accountable. And D groups is the best way we can do that for you here at Filter Church. So I want to invite you today to decide today's the day I'm going to jump in and be a part of a D group. Now I'm going to confess to you, D groups are not perfect. There are groups of three to five people, men with men, women with women, where we have learning, we have encouragement, we have accountability, and they're imperfect. We're growing in how we do it. 
But even though they're not perfect, they are the best way we can get you to have that kind of life-on-life engagement where you can be equipped, where you can be trained, where you can be utilized, where the truth can be spoken to you so you can overcome the tactics of the enemy. So I want to encourage you to be a part of a D group. Now, I know there's many of you, you're watching this online, you're going, but... But Jason, I'm not with you in a service. How am I going to do this? Or maybe you're going to wait till a future date when COVID is over. Then you'll join a D group because I mean, you can't meet with people and COVID right now is too dangerous. I actually want to suggest to you that you need a D group right now more because you're being more isolated as we have to be cautious with COVID. And so if your primary expression of church is only digital, then you are at great risk of being isolated and picked off by the enemy. You need community now more than ever. And one of the beautiful gifts of the pandemic, there's been a lot of hardships with the pandemic, but a beautiful gift is that we've learned how to do D groups virtually. In fact, they're incredibly effective. My D group has been going for the last eight months or so completely digitally. We do Zoom calls. And I know some of you are going, oh Lord, I can't do another Zoom call. For whatever reason, D groups actually work well because of the structure of them. You have just a few people and you go in turn and you share and you give learnings and and it works beautifully well. Let me tell you what that means too. It means that if you're watching this and you're in South Carolina or Latin America or some other place or in, in Eastern Europe, you can still be a part of a D group because we can do these all over the world. We can do them virtually as you come together. The question isn't, is this possible? The question is, are you willing to take a step forward? So if you are, Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like to ask you to download the Filler Church app on your phone if you haven't done that yet. If you're watching this on your phone, obviously you're gonna have to do this later. But if you're watching this on your TV or computer, I want you to grab your phone out, go to your app store and find the Filler Church app. If you haven't downloaded that, download it. There's a little bit, if, you, if you're not a, a member of our church and we don't have your information, you have to give us a little bit of information. It's not much. But on that, the first page you're gonna see looks like this right here and you're gonna see a little place that says D groups and grupos de, that's just English, Spanish, because it's bilingual. Right there we see where it's circled. If you click on that, it's gonna take you to this next page. And on this next page, you're gonna see a part where it says sign up for a D group right there and you just, you click on that button and it's gonna take you to our webpage where you can, you see that circled area right there where you can sign up to join a D group. And that'll take you to a place where you're actually gonna see a list of leaders who are inviting people into their D group. Listen, we've made this as seamless and as easy a process as we possibly can. Now we can't ensure you're gonna know the people that you're talking to, but you can get connected with other believers who want the same thing that you want. And over a journey of time doing life together, you will become the kind of people who speak truth to one another in love, who encourage one another, where you're able to learn together. And I know, I know for some of you are going, dude, this feels like speed dating, man. How am I know this is gonna work out or not? I know it's not perfect, but here's what I also know. I know life is short. I know the enemy's attack is too strong for you to sit back and do nothing. The time is now for you to get in a group. I just want to encourage you to do so. And we're not going to have a closing song. I'm about to pray for you. And then Pastor Jim is going to give you a last few instructions on what we're supposed to do with this. I just want to make sure you have time to do it. Now, before I pray, I want to say to to two groups of people, there are about three or 400 of you watching this who last year when we extended this invitation to be a part of a D group, you signed up for a D group and you started meeting with your D group, but then COVID hit. You only got maybe a few weeks, maybe a month into it and then you couldn't meet anymore. We weren't good yet at doing digital virtual D groups yet. And so you just stalled. And you look back at that and you're going, well, I tried, it didn't really work. You know, I'm not experiencing what you talked about. Well, the reason you're not is because you didn't give it a long enough runway. You need to have given it more time because it takes time to develop the trust friendship where you can find learning and encouragement and accountability. And so I want to encourage you, if it didn't work last time, don't let COVID win. Don't let the enemy win. Do it again. Sign up again and say, okay, 
2021 is going to be a better year. This is my year to do it. So I'm going to encourage you. Take that step again. Also want to encourage you. There are hundreds of you who did a D group, maybe even a few years ago, and you're like, okay, one and done. I, I did my D group. Check that. I'm going to go to heaven now. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Listen, Satan doesn't ever stop scheming. He is methodical in his scheming against you, which means you never stop needing this kind of community where you can learn, where you can be encouraged, where you can be held accountable. You still need it. We're constantly refining the processes, putting in new learning opportunities, adjusting D groups. We're getting better and better. I want to encourage you, jump back into it. In fact, you might need to be a leader. We're going to have hundreds of people signing up for D groups. We're going to need new leaders. And you may say, okay, I'm ready. Put me in. I'll lead. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, take the step of faith today. I promise you, God wants you to be more than you are. Satan may be scheming against you, but you can overcome it. And this is a way to do it. Let me pray for you guys. And then we'll close with last instructions before Jim sends you out. Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you, God, that though Satan is scheming against us, you've given us a mechanism just by doing life on life with people where we can learn, we can fill our heads with your truth, where we can be encouraged and mended when our souls get broken, and where we can have truth spoken to us in love and be held accountable to be who you want us to be. God, give us the faith to take a step forward in this. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.